Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live. There I am. There I am on the screen. Jeez, I forgot to put my put the overlay up. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network's YouTube channel. I am actually on screen, Bryson Carver. Uh, yeah, sorry for that little error there. Uh, and we have got an absolutely loaded show on tap for you guys tonight on this Friday. Obviously, massive, massive swing game for tonight between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. Denver leads two games to one uh, with an opportunity to take a commanding 3-1 series lead going back uh, to Denver to the mile high with an opportunity potentially to win a championship on Monday night. Miami obviously trying to tie this thing up and extending this to minimum a game six. And listen, I picked Miami in six before the series started, but I mean, would, would any of us be outside of Denver, Miami? Because both of those teams uh, and, and the fan bases want to end this series as soon as possible with the championship. But would any of us be mad with a game seven? I'm just, I know it's only game four. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there right at the back. Because, hey, listen, game six would be next Thursday, maybe a week from tonight. I'm talking about a game. I'm reacting to a game six going to a game seven. I certainly hope so, just for the, uh, just for the, um, the drama of everything that could happen. But I'll talk about Jimmy Butler to lead off the show. I think this is absolutely 100% the biggest game of Jimmy Butler's career. An opportunity to, as I used the word yesterday, validate or invalidate what playoff Jimmy Butler really means. And I'll get into that as far as the totality of this playoff run in just a moment. Also get into Russell Wilson, who, uh, according to Garrett Bowles, is, you know, he he's ready to go this season. Like, he's, he's in a position to potentially, uh, you know, have a bounce-back season with Sean Payton coming in as his new head coach. I'll get into that, uh, as well as obviously predicting game four of tonight's finals between Miami and between Denver. Uh, the Golden State Warriors is a new report that says that Steph Curry wants to essentially run it back, uh, bring this, bring most of the guys back from this current team back and, and try and win a championship next year. And I actually think the Warriors' future, I was thinking about this today as a Warriors fan, kind of revolves around one guy, and it's not Steph Curry. I'll get into that later in today's show, as well as uh, Damian Lillard, who uh, reportedly is, uh, or at least according to Damian Lillard himself, uh, could be could be out of Portland soon. And I actually think the next few days, the next two weeks rather, are going to determine his future with the Trail Blazers. But first, 
Tonight, Game 4, NBA Finals. Miami Heat down two games to one against the Denver Nuggets, who, as I said before the series, and, and again, I admitted that uh, I felt like I felt like Denver was um, was the better team, uh, but I didn't feel like it was this colossal gap that people try to make it out to be, like it was some Golden State Cleveland 2017 Finals or Lakers Sixers back in 01, like something like like Denver's better, but it's not by just this colossal margin. But certainly, you can't feel. All that great, as I talked about yesterday, if you're a Miami Heat fan or a guy like me who picked the Miami Heat coming into the series. But tonight we know what Nikola Jokic is going to be. And I'll get to my prediction later in today's show. We know what Nikola Jokic is going to be tonight. We know he's going to be great. How he's going to be great is going to be completely dependent on whether, on how Miami, in my view, defends Jamal Murray. That's, if again, if Nikola Jokic gives you another 30-15 game, you're probably going to lose. As I said, coming into these playoffs, if he gives you 40-plus, as the numbers would suggest, the Nuggets are 0-3. Again, three of the Nuggets' four playoff losses are when Jokic scores 40 or more points. So we can talk about the game plan aspect from that uh, from that you know standpoint. Michael Porter Jr., he's got to play better. He only played 20 minutes in Game 3. Does he get benched by Michael Malone, who's not afraid to make a move like that if he continues to struggle shooting? We'll see. Does guys like Christian Brown, KCP, do they step up? Those are the questions surrounding Denver. For Miami, really, for me, it's two questions. Can they knock down their open three-pointers, which, again, all playoffs long, Miami has been excellent, number one team in the NBA playoffs in three-point shooting. Again, shot 33% in game one, lost. Shot 49% in game two, won. Shot 33% again the other night in game three, lost. So really it's, can Miami make north of 40% of their threes? If so, they got a good chance to win. That's the first question for Miami. The second one is, and to me more importantly, from an individual standpoint, is Jimmy Butler. So there's been this... And I think it's, I don't think it's unfair to, to have this discussion about, hey, is Jimmy, given how he's played, you know, the last 10 postseason games or so, is he a superstar or, or is he just a, a guy who comes out guns a blazing to start the playoffs and then kind of, kind of fizzles out, kind of gets cold and no pun intended, the Miami Heat kind of gets cold as the postseason goes on, wears down physically. Well, here's what we do know. The and it's it, it'd be uh, it wouldn't be fair of me to talk about what I'm going to talk about without at least mentioning this point because it's it's a very fair point to make. The grind of an 82 game season, and then two months of playoff basketball. Man, it takes a lot out of you. That's why the fact that my Warriors made five straight finals, LeBron James made eight straight by himself is doesn't even make sense. You see teams like the Shaq Kobe Lakers make three straight finals and by like year 4 obviously they went to the finals again a couple of years later lost to Detroit. They were just sick of each other. Like they just needed to restart and just retool the entire roster. Chicago, Jordan went to three straight finals was exhausted, retired. I I can't take this anymore. So just the mental toll that it takes and you just getting to one finals much less numerous in a row. Takes takes a lot out of athletes. I totally understand that. And I, I don't want to go into what I'm getting into without bringing that up. It takes a lot out of you physically. But the superstars, and this is why I say what, what differentiates between a star and a superstar, is that 
Like a Nicole Jokic, for example, who's absolutely a superstar, he'll always find a way to impact the game. Always find a way to impact the game, whether it's through his uh, facilitating to his teammates, or whether it's through scoring, whether it's through rebounding. Again, he had, uh, he had what, 20, uh, 21 rebounds the other night? He's active there. By the way, he's not, and this has actually been surprising me in the playoffs, he hasn't been that bad defensively. Like this notion about he's a defensive liability, which I thought he could be going in the playoffs. I actually thought that's what would get Denver beat at some point. Actually, he's been solid. Has he been Joel Embiid or Giannis Antetokounmpo in that regard? No, but I'm not sure he really has to be. Denver's still got plenty of good perimeter defenders, and he's you know good enough to hold down, hold it, hold the fort down, down low. He finds a way to impact the game in some way, shape, or form. So does Steph Curry. So does Giannis Antetokounmpo. Is Jimmy Butler capable of doing that? So. I wanted to real quick put this graphic up showing Jimmy series by series because I think and some of this and we'll get into in just a moment to sort of tie into the significance of this being a game four down two games to one. Uh, but I wanted to show this real quick. So this is Jimmy's numbers. Uh, th these are Jimmy's numbers uh, throughout the entirety of the 2023 playoffs. Okay, so again, sorry for the podcast audience. I'll, I'll read it off to you. Against uh, Milwaukee, average basically 30, uh, 37, 38 points, six rebounds, five assists, shot 60% from the field. That's incredible for a per perimeter player. And 44% from three, which is typically not Jimmy. He's not a great three-point shooter. As is reflected in the next series against the Knicks, when he goes from 38 points to 25 points, seven rebounds, six assists. Assists went up by 1.2. 43% field goal percentage, only shot 11% from three. He actually only made one three the entire series. Obviously, it didn't matter because he was a great facilitator. His teammates stepped up for him. That's why they advanced. Conference finals against Boston. Again, very similar numbers in terms of the point total. Goes from 24.6 to 24.7. 7.2 rebounds to 7.6 rebounds, 6 assists to 6.1 assists, 42% from the field, 35% from three. The three-point percentage went significantly up. Uh, a lot of that had to do with uh, his attempts as well in the conference finals. But if you look at his numbers across the board outside of assists, they've all kind of either been stagnant or gone down in these NBA finals. He's gone from 24, 25 points against Boston to 20, 21 points against Denver. Seven to eight rebounds to four rebounds, almost cut in half. 6.1 assists up to 6.7. He's been a good facilitator in this series. Again, field goal percentage thus far, exactly the same. Three-point percentage up one tick from 35% to 36%. Is Jimmy Butler wearing down? I think that has something to do with it. Could it also be, and this has been... At least from the media I can, I've consumed, I, I don't know if anybody has a different perspective on that, but remember first round against New York, just talked about that Knicks series, game one, fourth quarter, Jimmy turned his ankle. And remember, he limped his way through the rest of that one, missed game two, came back in game three, and hasn't missed a game since. Is the ankle hampering him? They say, well, Bryce, you give him the injury excuse. Actually, I'm not. I'm using this to set up why this is the biggest game of his career. We call him playoff Jimmy, given how he played against Milwaukee, rightfully so. Played well against the Knicks, played well enough to beat the Celtics. This series, although I didn't think he played bad in game three by any stretch, he did score 28 points, wasn't Jimmy, playoff Jimmy, at least certainly peak prime, uh, peak of his powers, playoff Jimmy. Jimmy has an ankle issue. He's not 100% in that regard. 2021. Down two games to one. At home, by the way, just like Jimmy and the Heat are tonight against the Phoenix Suns. 
Remember Giannis Antetokounmpo, previous series, Eastern Conference Finals, suffers a pretty nasty-looking knee injury in Game 4 against Atlanta, misses Game 5 and 6. Fortunately for him and the Bucs, the Bucs won those last two games to get to the Finals. Comes back in the Finals, plays great. Again, Game 4, down two games to one uh, in his house against the Phoenix Suns. He goes for 26-14-8 and eight and has probably the second-greatest Finals block ever on DeAndre Ayton. Last year, down two games to one. Steph Curry, again, this one's on the road. This is a whole different animal. Steph Curry's got an injured foot. Remember, he had injured his foot against, ironically, against the Celtics in March on a very similar play. Marcus Smart falling on his foot. It's the very reason I didn't get to see Steph a week later in Atlanta against the Hawks. Thanks a lot for that, Marcus. But again, in the finals, almost identical play, except it was different. It was Al Horford this time. Steph is diving for a loose ball. Horford falls on his foot. Steph is clearly injured. Uh, he's, he's, he's limping all over the floor the rest of game three. Plays game four, and all Steph Curry does is drop 43 and 10. And hits, I think it was either six or seven three-pointers. And just hits dagger shot after dagger shot in the fourth quarter. The stage is set, Jimmy. Because that game four win propelled Milwaukee to win the series. They didn't lose a game after that. That game win for Golden State last year propelled them. They didn't lose a game after that. Won the champ, both teams won the championship in six. I'm not saying Jimmy and the Heat have to have to win every game from here on out. They don't. This is not an elimination game. But as good as Miami is, I don't think they're good enough to come back from 3-1. And again, a lot of coming back from 3-1 has to do with the other team. You could say choking, and that's fair. Some of it is bad execution. Some of it is you shooting yourself in, in the foot. Denver has not done that all postseason long. I don't expect them to if they were to go up three games to one. The stage is set, Jimmy. If you are truly playoff Jimmy, and I'm not expecting you, again, we're not, we shouldn't hold Jimmy Butler to the same uh, expectations that we do a Steph or Giannis. Steph is the sixth greatest player ever. To me, Giannis is already in the top 20 and could have an argument with the title, maybe with another MVP, to be in the top 12, 10, 12, dare I say, given his resume. Jimmy's never going to be in that discussion. But for any other, if Jimmy is truly a superstar, let's just take that discussion for a moment. There are superstars in the NBA who do not have a championship. Joel B doesn't have a championship, right? Damian Lillard doesn't have a championship. Think about guys like, I'd argue Devin Booker's a superstar. Do you see how he played in the playoffs? He has yet to win a title. By the way, how about somebody who's not a superstar anymore at least? James Harden. We're all over James Harden when he plays bad in the playoffs every single year. By the way, rightfully so, I've been kind of leading that train for years now on this show. It's kind of his history. Even a guy who does have championships, Kevin Durant. We still, I don't, not just because I'm a Warriors fan, because I'm like, he won two championships. Can we get off his back now? There's been plenty of guys who've won championships with stacked rosters. I understand the circumstances are different, but I think it's a little nitpicky. But if Kevin Durant won this situation, playing the way Jimmy was playing through the first three games, going into this sim a similar situation here in game four, what do you think the narrative would be around KD? Is Jimmy as good as KD? Of course he's not. But we consider him, or at least some are considering him to be a superstar. What are you going to do? If you are truly playoff Jimmy, if you are truly a superstar, a top 10 player, We've had two superstars, albeit all-time greats, 
in this exact same situation the last two years. Down two to one with an injury, with a lower body injury. Giannis with his knee, Steph with his foot. Both played outstanding and were the biggest reason their teams won the game. What is it going to be for Jimmy? Now, for the record, do I think he has to just carry the team on his back and drop 50? No. Obviously, if you're a Heat fan, you say, hey, Jimmy's going to score 50 tonight. Oh, I feel good. Now, some of that could be, well, the number of shots it'll take you to get to 50, does that mean the other guys aren't showing up? So, you have that component onto as well. He did have a 56-point game against Milwaukee in game four of the first round. We understand that. But I'm saying for Jimmy, this has got to be a 30-35 to point outing with, dare I say, seven, eight assists. Because Jimmy, I've, I've, I've said all postseason long, you can see through the numbers once again here, he's been a solid distributor. Not really in the first round against uh, Milwaukee, although five assists isn't isn't too shabby. Um, but you go from, again, six assists, six assists again, and you round up, it's more like seven assists in the NBA Finals. He's done a solid job of distributing, getting the ball to the number of spot-up shooters that Miami has. This, to me, is Jimmy's night. If Jokic doesn't play well, we're like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be over Jokic. It's like, okay, the series is tied. It's going back to Denver. Jokic finally had a bad game in the playoffs. If Jamal Murray doesn't play well, I mean, listen, he's he's yet to be an all-star. He is the number two on this team in Denver. And everybody's everybody's due. We're obviously Murray is not in the same level as Jokic is. We're not gonna be brutal on Jamal Murray. We're not gonna be brutal on Bam Adebayo. I think Bam's played pretty well through the first three games, played outstanding in game two. Guarding Jokic and giving them good offensive production. This is Jimmy's night. Jimmy has the most to gain from tonight and the most to lose. Very, very excited for game four of the finals. I think it's going to be a good one. I'm not going to spoil my prediction. I think it's going to be close. That's all I'll say. Denver's a three and a half point road favorite, just like they were in game three. I think it's going to be a close game. Very, very excited. But I'm telling you, this is, you know, there, there are certain... Certain points in, in in great players' career. Jimmy's certainly a great player. Is he a superstar is the question. Tonight, go a long way answering that question. Because, you know, none of us, and I don't think we should, for the record, none of us hold the 2020 finals against Jimmy. Because Miami getting the finals that year in its in and of itself was shocking. Yeah, Milwaukee, who was the one seed who, if you go on record three years ago, <clears throat> Three years ago, I never believed in the 2020 Milwaukee Bucks. Check the tape, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but you had the one seed Bucks who were great in the regular season. Yeah, Boston, who uh, was knocked out by Miami. I thought Toronto. Toronto was my pick when the playoffs started to get to the finals. They had a great regular season that year. Uh, there, there were some really, really good teams that Milwaukee, I'm sorry, that Miami took out on their way to the finals. And they played a Lakers team that was just significantly better than them. LeBron was outstanding, AD was outstanding, and the supporting cast did their job as well. And he had Jimmy out there. That game five, I think it was, was it like a 40-point triple-double he dropped? He was incredible. Uh, I think he got some help. Either, it was either from Tyler Hero, I think it was Duncan Robinson uh, in that basketball game. So we don't hold that one against him, nor should we. I've always, I've always been in the mindset. When a great player leads a team to the finals, and they really shouldn't be there, like we have it in our minds that the finals are the two best teams left. That's not always the case. Do we honestly believe, seriously, do we honestly believe that in 2007, the San Antonio Spurs and the Cleveland Cavaliers were the best two teams left? No, we don't. How about 1999, the Spurs and the Knicks? Were those the best two teams left? No, the Knicks were an eight seed. The Cavs were led by LeBron, whose second best player was Zadrunas Ilgauskas. 
in 2015, at least after the Kyrie injury, were those the best two teams left, right? The Steph Curry-led 67-win Golden State Warriors and LeBron James, whose second-best player was Matthew Delvadova, third-best player, Timofey Mozgov, fourth-best player, J.R. Smith. So I don't hold the 2020 Finals. I don't believe the best two teams left, just considering the gap between the Lakers and the Heat. So we shouldn't hold it against Jimmy. I'm fine with that. This is a different situation, though. Those 2020 Lakers are better, with all due respect to Denver, than this year's version of the Denver Nuggets. Game four is going to be a good one. No doubt about it. Okay, so uh, I also wanted to get into a guy who <laughs> seems to be kind of flirting with the idea of maybe going to Miami this offseason. Not on vacation, although who wouldn't, but to join the Miami Heat. And that is one, Damian Lillard, who I've said religiously on this show is one of my five favorite players of the league. I love, love watching Damian Lillard. It's like my favorite players are Steph, LeBron, KD, Lillard. Uh, gosh, I don't know who that fifth guy would be. Kyrie's fun to watch. I don't know if he'd be top five. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to come up with that fifth player. But those four are absolutely my, my four favorites without a doubt. But Dame's spectacular. He's a 30-point-per-game scorer, uh, you know, multi-time All-NBA guy. One of the greatest shoot. We like we talk about you know what who Dame is? Dame is like a lot of those. Damian Lillard is, and people are gonna people are gonna crush me for this. He is this generation's and if we're talking about, I'm talking about specifically, I'm not talking about as a player. So please, please don't get on me, ladies and gentlemen. From a shooting, from a marksmanship perspective and standpoint. We don't give Dame his shine for how great he is. We don't talk about this is the Damian Lillard era as far as shooting the basketball in a similar sense that Kobe Bryant, and I think Kobe is the fourth greatest player ever, so I want to have this on record. Kobe never really had an era. Why? Because it was Kobe and Shaq, then Duncan won championships, and then by the time Kobe got back to winning championships in 2009 and 2010, LeBron was clearly the best player. It was LeBron, Le, the LeBron era started around 08-09, that time. And again, the 07, he took a terrible Cavs team to the finals. That's why I look at it in the, from the perspective, perspective of Dame and Steph, where we don't give Dame the, the love he really deserves because Steph is just ridiculous out there, the way he's changed the game shooting the basketball. And Dame, to his credit, has taken advantage of that with his handle, with his shooting ability. Again, he is only he and Michael Jordan have two. I'm sorry. Yeah. He is the only guy outside of Michael Jordan to have a buzzer, a walk-off buzzer beater uh, to win a playoff series twice. Only Dane and Michael. So that's a pretty, pretty elite company. Today is Friday, June the 9th. The NBA draft is on Thursday, June 22nd. By the way, we'll be doing a draft show here on the Grid Network. We'd be delighted if you join us. From now until the, until then, from right now as we sit here today, until the Portland Trailblazers or whoever has the number third number three pick in between that time span is going to determine whether or not Damian Lillard is a Portland Trailblazer this season. At least in my view, I heard Chris Haynes, 
who's a guy, he, he, he's broken a lot of stories in the NBA. He just recently broke the, the Chris Paul story that Phoenix was moving on from CP3, one of the better insiders in, in the league. Chris Haynes was talking about how Dame is going to look very closely at what Portland decides to do with the number three pick. What the Trailblazers decided to do with the number three pick of the draft. Because for those of you who don't know, San Antonio is obviously going to get Wimby with the first overall pick. Charlotte's got the second pick. I'm reading they're going to take Brandon Miller, and then Portland will be on the clock. Dame is going to watch closely. Where if Portland decides to take one of these top players, at that point it probably would likely be uh, Scoot Henderson with the third overall pick. He probably asks out. Because at that point, Portland has a lot of young, talented players. Like, really good talent. Like, uh, Simons, and I love, I talked about last year's uh, draft. Shaden Sharp is a ridiculous athlete. Watch this kid's highlights. He's going to be a star in the NBA, no question about it. And then, potentially, you could have a guy like Scoot Henderson. That's great. I think that's a good young core to build around. How does that help Dame? How does that help Damian Lillard? He wants to win now. Like, Dame has made it as clear as he has ever made it in his, this is now his, he just finished his 11th season in the NBA. He wants to win. He was on an interview. Was it with Complex? I, I don't want to misquote who the, uh, whoever inter was interviewing him, the, 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 the news outlet, but he was doing an interview recently and he was talking about how he would love to go to Brooklyn to play with the Nets because he said Mikel Bridges is his boy. Or he would like to go to the Miami Heat because he said Bam Adebayo is his boy. Miami obviously makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I think they would. It'd be very difficult to keep Jimmy Bam and add Dame. You'd have to do some sign in trades. You have to. You have to really do some, especially with this new CBA in where Jimmy's making a lot of money, Bam's making a lot of money, Dame's making a lot of money. I don't know if that work. I don't know if you'd be able to build a certain amount of depth. I don't know where Damian Lillard is going to play next year. I've, for two years on Carving It Up Live, been mentioning, and I am no Lakers fan, Warriors fan, till I die. I hate the Lakers. But if I were in the Lakers position, said it since 2021, I would move, move Anthony Davis straight up for Damian Lillard. 100%. Make Mo Bamba your big. Surround everybody else with wings. Because Dame's a guy who's going to give you 65, 70 plus games a year. He's always available. He had the one year, a couple years back where he, you know, he got injured and missed most of the season. That's, that's an anomaly. That's not who Damian Lillard is. He's a fantastic shot maker. We know LeBron loves shooters. I think the Lakers makes all the sense in the world. Like with LeBron again in that game four, uh, as my man, Barry Grant Jr. of the all even podcast, shout out to Barry, huge Lakers fan. Like he said, he said, you couldn't tell who the 38-year-old was in that closeout game four against Denver. Well, LeBron played all but four seconds, dropped 40, and Anthony Davis, I think, scored like 22, didn't play well defensively, just looked out of it. You see that way too often from AD. You're not going to get that from Damian Lillard. Dame is locked in 100%. If he doesn't play well, it's not for lack of trying. Not saying AD's not trying, not like questioning uh, you know, if he wants to win or not, but the, 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 the focus from Damian Lillard, Again, he took a Portland Trailblazers team that probably shouldn't have been in the conference finals to the conference finals. Actually beat Jokic and Murray to get there. Fun fact. Now, Jokic and Murray weren't then what they are now, obviously, but just throwing that out there. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. See website for details. How does it benefit Portland if, I'm sorry, how does it benefit Dame if Portland goes into a rebuild? It really doesn't. And so I think, would Dame make Brooklyn a championship contender? Uh, highly doubt it. Matter of fact, I'd say almost unequivocally no. That he he wouldn't. Just as as I think the East is clearly the better conference right now and going into next season. Milwaukee will be back. Boston will be back. Miami will be back. Uh, Cleveland will be better. I think the Knicks will be better. Like there there's some there's some good teams out East. We'll see what Atlanta does potentially. I don't know if Brooklyn's going to be in that discussion for competing for a championship. But the Heat. And listen, this is the evil genius. This is the evil genius himself, Pat Riley. The man is a deal maker. You know, the some call him the godfather. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. He knows how to finesse his way in and out. If he's got to do a three-team trade, if he's got to do a four-team trade. If he's getting Damian Lillard in the building to pair with Jimmy, to pair with Bam out of bio, and you're able to have at least a some semblance of a bench that you do have this year because Miami is very deep. Again, they've got all these guys stepping up for them this playoffs long, the all playoffs long, with no Tyler Hero outside of a first half of a game and no Victor Oladipo except for two and a half games of these NBA playoffs. You add Damian Lillard? I don't care what anybody says. That's the favorite to win the Eastern Conference. You have two scores. We've seen Jimmy. He'll get hot from time to time from three, but Jimmy is not a three-point shooter. He's more of a mid-range guy. can score down low pretty effectively. Dame is your perimeter guy. Dame is, is, is obviously is one of the better three-point shooters in the league. And Bam Adebayo is your defensive stalwart. You've got plenty of guys. I was talking to somebody about this on social media uh, today uh, in my comments section. They made a great point that Miami really misses Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo and that they're not great, quote-unquote, driving kick guys. They're not guys who you know are, can, are capable of setting up other dudes for shots and get their own. Miami's just got a lot of spot-up shooters. That's why they're such a great three-point shooting team. Kevin Love, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, although he can put it on the floor fairly well, but he's not much of a distributor. Whew, you had Dame? Yeah, Miami's the favorites come out of the East next season. Depending on what Milwaukee and Boston and the Knicks potentially do this offseason, yeah, Miami's for real. But you've seen Dame, and he even put a cryptic uh, social media post on his Instagram where he's doing the famous uh, Dame time uh, celebration. And all he put was just like the clock, emo- the, the watch emoji where he's, you know, he's pointing to his wrist saying it's Dame time. It's uh, listen, like I said yesterday, social media or either yesterday or Monday show, like social media is kind of the place to put cryptic messages these days. Uh, I think, I think Dame's done with Portland. Certainly, certainly if they decide to use that third overall pick. Because it's not that, oh, Portland doesn't care about winning. They just don't care about winning now. Which, by the way, I'm not even necessarily saying they're wrong. I think if there's any team in the NBA that should go all in on a rebuild, it's the Blazers. They've, they've already got some very talented young players now. They've got the number three overall pick. Can you imagine the haul you could get for Damian Lillard? I think, I think, it's, uh, I think it makes all the sense in the world. For Portland and for Dame, it's a win-win for both sides. Dame gave Portland 11 great years. Uh, you could argue he's probably the 
dare I say, the third greatest, maybe the second greatest player of all time. I think it still ain't Bill Walton's probably first on that list. Uh, but at that point, you're probably arguing between Dame and uh, Clyde Drexler. And I, I guess I give, I guess I give Clyde the Glide the edge just because he did lead the Blazers to the finals back in, I think it was 92. But Dame certainly top three Blazer of all time, hit clutch shot after clutch shot, was awesome with that fan base. They loved him. He loved, uh, loves them. They still love him, obviously. And, but it's time. It's time for both sides to go their separate ways. And it's, I think it's best for both to do so. But all I'm saying is circle back to what I initially said regarding what Chris Haynes was talking about. Uh, I heard on a radio show yesterday. What Portland decides to do or not do with the third pick in the draft will in all likelihood determine Damian Lillard's future with the organization. I'm just saying that these next 13 days will decide if Dame's a blazer next year or if he's a who knows what next year. A Laker, a Net, I've heard even Boston being mentioned, a Heat. Who knows? Who knows? All right, so... Third, uh, third thing I wanted to get to today. Appreciate everybody stopping by, obviously, on this Friday. Feel free to, to chime in the comments section. But only NFL topic of the day. Again, this is kind of the, I know OTAs are going on, but it's mostly the dead period for the NFL because you have, obviously, the season goes from September to February. You have the, the free agency in March. A lot of trades going on as well. Draft in April. And then in between May and late July, it's kind of a dead period for the league. But... There are some interesting stories coming out of OTAs. I thought about talking about it on today's show, and I may just save it for next week, talking about the Dallas Cowboys. That because I try to, I'm I'm very intentional about, you know, every time it, it feels on some of these shows that anytime something minimal happens with the Lakers, the Cowboys, it really doesn't mean all that much. All oh, they talk about it, and, and these these shows are doing 10, 15 minute segments on it. It's like guys, it's really not that important. Uh, unless in July or August when we're just looking for sports topic, topics to save our life. Right now is not that time where we're in the NBA Finals. But I thought it was interesting what Mike McCarthy said because Mike McCarthy is going to be in the new uh, offensive play caller for the Cowboys with Kellen Moore going to the Chargers. And Mike McCarthy said something along the lines of, now we're going to run offense the way we want to, we, we're supposed to. Let me, the Cam Fan guys, shout out to the Cowboys Cam Fan here at the grid. They do a fantastic job. The Cam Fan guys put it on their Instagram stories. Let me pull it up just for, just for, okay. Yeah, here's the quote from Mike McCarthy. Quote, this is the first year we are playing how we want. Uh, and I, I, I heard, I think Dak talking about how it was going to be a mix of like a Texas style offense and the West Coast. Listen, I've been a big critic of Kellen Moore for the longest time. I think it's going to be, I think Trevor, not Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Herbert isn't going to have uh, as productive a year as many think. Uh, he will with Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore has routinely been one of the more predictive offense, predictable offensive coordinators in the league. Mike McCarthy, going back to his days in Green Bay, has one of, been one of the better play callers. Even going into his job in Green Bay was known for that. So I think Dallas offense is going to be solid next year, at least given what they do and don't have at the wide receiving court. It's like CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks is a solid two, and it's eh, after that. But maybe I'll elaborate more next week because I'm a big Dak guy. Uh, but I did want to talk about one team in OTAs. And to me, it's one of the more fascinating teams coming into this season. And it's the the one team that I'm very, I don't think cautiously optimistic is, is the right phrase to use. But I certainly expect it to be better. And honestly, I think they will be better. That's the Denver Broncos. 
Very disappointing season a year ago. Uh, I was so smart. So smart, folks. I picked the Broncos to win the whole thing. Last September. And it will go down in history as the worst take and the worst prediction I have ever made in the three and a half year history of carving it up live. I, I try to, you know, I try to act like it never happened, but at the end of the day, it's it gets brought up from time to time, and it's more than fair that it is brought up. So Broncos OTAs are going on right now. They obviously upgraded massively a head coach. But you go from Nathaniel Hackett to the quarterback whisperer, which I call him in Sean Payton, who's been one of the premier offensive coaches in the league since his days in New Orleans, now taking the job in Denver after a year off. The Broncos think they did a solid job adding to their offensive line. They've got a spectacular receiving core, a spectacular defense. Uh, running game, we'll see if they're able to make any adjustments, any improvements from last year with Sean Payton. I would imagine that's the case. But it's all going to revolve around as any team that's hoping to do anything this season in twenty in the 2023 NFL, the Denver Broncos, it's all going to surround Russell Wilson. It's all going to come down to Russ and whether or not he's able to bounce back from a truly awful 2022 season, by far the worst of his career. So Garrett Bowles, who is the Broncos' best offensive lineman, left tackle, was talking about how uh, the media and those criticizing Russ are going to eat crow after the season is over. So here's, here's Garrett Bowles' quote. He said, quote, talking about Russ, quote, he's a great dude. He's the same guy every single day. He works his butt off. And I'm ready for that stuff to go away. And when it goes, everyone's going to eat crow. So uh, clearly, and this is a big uh, difference from last year, where there's the famous meme... <laughs> I even saw it on my social media today of Melvin Gordon on the bench where Russell, remember the Thursday night game where Russell played horrible. It's probably the worst football game I've ever watched. It was terrible. I think the Colts won like 12 to nine and it mercifully, mercilessly went to overtime. Point is Russell's on the bench. He's got the coat on. He's drinking the Gatorade and Melvin Gordon's just walking past him, just giving him the most dirty look like this, this son of, like this guy is just, ugh. You saw, was it K.J. Hamler was the receiver's name, where in that game, Russ missed him wide open. Didn't even look his direction. He would have been wide open for the walk-off touchdown. Russ didn't see him, threw the ball elsewhere. I think it was to Cortland Sutton. And K.J. Hamler takes his helmet off and slams it on the field. And I, I remember saying the next day on my show, Brady's receivers aren't doing that. Uh, 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 Mahomes' receivers, Josh Allen's receivers, Burrow's receivers, they're not doing that. Like, there was clearly a disconnect between most of the guys in the locker room and Russ. Some of that is the the amenities he was given, despite the fact that up until last season, he never played a snap with the franchise. He was given the massive contract extension. He was given his own personal office, which I've never heard of in my life for a quarterback. And there was a real disconnect between Russ and his teammates. The fact that Garrett Bowles is coming out this strongly talking about the media and everybody's going to eat crow, that goes a long way and tell me, okay, two things I think have happened. And the second thing being a direct result of the first thing. Remember Sean Payton did his opening press conference with the Broncos when he was introduced as the new head coach? And there was one reporter who asked him about Russ's office, and he has like his personal trainer and all this. He sort of works out separate from the team. And Sean Payton, in his the, the most Sean Payton-ist way possible, said, yeah, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> oh, that's he was very direct, like, yeah, that, that, that we're not doing that. I think as a direct result of that, it sort of forced Russ to. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kind of look himself in the mirror and say, okay, what did I not do last season as a leader? And by the way, Garrett Bowles is not the only guy to come out in support of Russ. I think I heard Jerry Judy come out in, in support of Russ, the Broncos' best or second-best wide receiver. A lot of the defensive guys have come out in support of him. So the fact that they are backing him the way they are tells me that he has really repaired some relationships or really repaired his stance, his his uh, his place in the locker room within the organization uh, as the leader of that football team. But I looked at Denver's schedule. And before I even get to Denver's schedule, and I talked about Russ a couple weeks ago where L- Russ was talking about he, he feels um, – he lost a little bit of weight in the offseason. He feels lean and mean, which I don't I don't really know what that's how that's gonna really help as a quarterback. But Russ was talking about that. And I, I was saying that I expect Russ this season, said this a few weeks ago, I'll say it again now. I said about 28 touchdowns, maybe cut down the interceptions from like eleven to eight. Twenty-eight, eight. Completion percentage could go into like the upper 60s potentially, like 67, 68%. Because uh, that was a big issue with Russ last year's completion percentage wasn't very accurate. I could see Russ being more involved in the run game as a scrambler. I know Sean Payton's talked about before that uh, Russ plays football kind of like at his best. Russ plays football like a basketball player. Very improvisational. Uh, I know Mike Tirico had a famous call when he was calling a Russell Wilson crazy play. He said, cue the Houdini music. Like that's, that's kind of Russ's game. That's what we knew Russ to be. Is this, this uh, sort of the Mahomes before the Mahomes, as far as just crazy scramble plays, wild throws to, to, to some of his best wideouts and, and making unbelievable throws for, for touchdowns and for long gains or even scrambles. I could see a little bit of that with, with Russ coming back. Now, do I think Russ is going to be what he was in Seattle I'm not ready to go there yet. Just to, part of that's just because I plunged on Denver last year and I was so terribly wrong. I, I'm hesitant to do it again. I don't. I, I'm like the, the person who doesn't want to get conned twice by a, by a similar uh, similar person. So, but look at Denver's schedule this season. So, start the year. They've uh, and I'll just go and predict the season just like I did a couple weeks ago, and I've, I've got a graphic for it this time. But they start at home against the Raiders, folks. I haven't got a chance to talk much about the Raiders this offseason, frankly, because they're not that relevant. I think the Raiders are going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the NFL this year. You heard the news about Jimmy Garoppolo, about his health, and they could uh, opt out of his deal. I think Jimmy's out of there. I- I'm not sure Jimmy's going to play a single game for the Raiders. If that's the case, they were they were bad. Let's be let's keep it real. They were bad last year with Derek Carr, especially in the second half of games. They I think it was like five games they blew a double-digit lead, which is mind-blowing. But... I think the Raiders could be horrible this year. I think they could be in the Caleb Williams slash Drake May sweepstakes uh, this offseason. So I absolutely have Denver win this game at home fairly comfortably. Then they've got the Washington Commanders. Again, Washington's a team that, and sorry to my man Parnell, who was on the show yesterday. Shout out to Parnell of the Commanders Demand Podcast here on the grid. I think Washington, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the history of their franchise. And a lot of bad things has happened with Washington, especially regarding ownership if they went ahead and just tanked the year and started over with the new quarterback, be it Caleb Williams or Drake May. I think Denver starts their first two games off, gets two pretty, I don't want to say dominant, but comfortable uh, comfortable home wins to start the season to start 2-0. They go to Miami. 
to take on the Dolphins. Now, there's a lot of expectations for Miami. They added Jalen Ramsey. They brought in Vic Fangio to be their defensive coordinator. You have all that circulating around the franchise. And obviously, Mike McDaniel, I thought, had a very had a solid year uh, as, as the uh, Dolphins head man last year. That's a tough one for Denver. I'm going to give them a loss there. That's like on their first big challenge this season. I'll give them a loss at Miami. Then they go to Chicago. Now, Chicago's a team. They're absolutely going to be better than last year. They're not winning three games again this year. Uh, I could see them winning maybe six or seven. I got Denver winning a game uh, in Soldier Field. Again, I can't imagine early October the weather in Chicago is going to be too much of a factor as it would be if they were playing them, say, in obviously December or January late season. So I'll give the Broncos a win against the Bears. And then a loss against the New York Jets. I think that might be a Sunday night game, if I'm not mistaken, against the uh, New York Jets. I think that's a loss. They fall to three and two. I think they lose a, another game to, to Kansas City. Again, the Broncos have not beaten the Kansas City Chiefs since Peyton Manning was the quarterback way back when in week two of 2015, the Thursday night football game. I actually remember that one. Brad, was it Bradley Roby uh, picked up a fumble recovery from Jamal Charles for a touchdown. I think I remember that. Uh, and so the Broncos drop to three and three. They'll come back. They'll beat the Packers, who I think are going to be terrible this year. Uh, come back to beat the Packers at home, lose once again the very next week to Kansas City. Again, that says at Kansas City by bad. That should say a home game against the Chiefs. So they'll lose at home against Kansas City. They got to buy. They go to Buffalo. I got to be honest, folks. I'm not buying Bill Stock this year. They have not improved the offense. Matter of fact, I think they gotten worse. Stephon Diggs isn't happy. The defense has gotten better, but I don't really think the defense was that much of an issue for Buffalo last year. Josh Allen being careless with the football, them not developing any running game whatsoever to speak of. If I'm not mistaken, I think I remember them only scoring 10 points in their playoff game against Cincinnati. Did Buffalo get better in their biggest weakness? No. By the way, Leslie Frazier, their defensive coordinator, gone. He's no longer the D.C. So I'm going to have Denver going to Buffalo, winning that one, coming off of a bye week. against Sean Payton, we know this rule about head coaches are, are fantastic coming off a of bye, very well prepared. So I'll get the Broncos a win there. That would get them to, what, five and four. I think they come, on to uh, come home, beat Minnesota, uh, lose to Cleveland at home. I'm not that high on Cleveland this year, although I think they could be a potential playoff team. So that would take them to six and five. I think they go on the road, beat Houston, beat the Chargers. I'm sorry, lose to the Chargers. So that would take them to seven and six, lose to Detroit to drop them to seven and seven. And then I, th I think they finished the year on a three-game winning streak. They beat the Patriots, Chargers, Raiders. Again, two of those teams, Patriots, especially the Raiders, I think are going to be pretty bad this year. Chargers are, are, are a playoff team. Denver comes home, beats them, uh, and they finish the season with a 10 and seven record. That's what I got. I think Russ is a bounce back here, 28 touchdowns, eight picks. Again, I'm a little concerned about the Broncos running game, but I think their success is going to be predicated a lot by what Russ is able to give them in that regard with his, his scrambling abilities. So we'll see about what happens there. Got a comment here from my man, Patrick Brown. What's up, Patrick? He says a big year for Russell. Sean Payton has rebuilt the culture in a matter of a couple of months. Not to mention, Denver added Frank Clark. Yeah, I saw that yesterday to blister their defensive line. Yeah, Frank Clark's one of the premier pass rushers uh, in the NFL. Although, I will say this. It is, at times, uh, I'm always very weary anytime a very well-run well organization, not saying Denver's not well-run, I'm not saying that, but like Kansas City, Decides to just let a great player walk. Now is now is some of the, is some of that because they can replace him because Brett Veach is fantastic in the draft. That probably has more to do with that. Uh, again, Denver's a, a well-run franchise in the front office, so I don't think they would have taken a chance on a guy who has high risk or low reward. But 
I think Frank Clark can, can be a can be an asset for their for their pass rush. Yeah, he can be solid. I think it makes sense. So you know, we'll see what Russell's able to give you uh, in that regard. But I do think you have he has a bounce back here. I really do. Uh, hold on, trying to get this last uh, graphic up. Uh, hold on for my next segment because I th- it actually involves uh, my team, the Golden State Warriors, who are in a bit of a predicament this offseason. According to an article by this Uprox, I think, this is who, who this is by, about Golden State and their future, Steph Curry wants to bring the band back. Again, this article uh, says, if I can pull it up here. Hold on. Find the article. I just lost it. There it is. Okay, so this is the title of the article. Report, Steph Curry wants to keep the Warrior, wants the Warriors to keep their core together for, quote, at least one more season. And he says, and this article goes on to talk about how uh, it's a, it was, came off a dip, disappointing season. Bob Myers uh, decided to step away from the team. And uh, Tim uh, Kawakami, who does a fantastic job for The Athletic covering the Warriors, he said in The Athletic, uh, quote, this week, I think the most likely scenario is that the Warriors keep most of this together for at least one more season. That's what Curry wants. His opinion sort of matters. Well, that's understandable. He's This is a Warriors franchise that was not in the greatest position of the world. I, th- I think I saw this. If, if I still have the, the stats, I didn't plan to bring this up today, but the, uh, what Golden State was worth – uh, as a franchise before Steph got there. Yeah, here it is. So the Warriors, and this is from 2021, so I can imagine it's grown since then. When Steph was drafted by the Warriors, the team was worth $315 million. This was two years ago, so this has to have improved. In 2021, the Warriors were worth $4.3 billion. So safe to say the Steph Curry effect, effect has been very, very real for Golden State. And is change the culture of the franchise. And I could see the Golden State Warriors, even when Steph retires, being a situation like the Spurs where they're bad for two to three years and are able to rebuild through uh, their fantastic front office and evaluating uh, staff and personnel. But with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Circling back to next season, what does Golden State need to do to get back into championship contention? And I said immediately after they lost to the Lakers in game six, and I've kind of maintained it since, that... I don't think there needs to be this this colossal effect where you got to blow up certain parts of the roster and bring... I don't really think it's that. The first thing I said is, you got to move on from Jordan Poole. I think given last season, the animosity between he and Draymond, the apparent animosity between uh, Poole and Steph. Again, I I still have this... uh, Do I have the soundbite from Steve Kerr from the other day? I played this. This is what Steve Kerr said. He's talking about the Miami Heat, but it felt like a very, very veiled shot at Jonathan Kaminga, but also about Jordan Poole. Play this from yesterday's show. And it's like none of those guys on Miami are, are, are sitting there saying, well, I didn't play, or, man, they put in so-and-so. Like, they're just all about winning. And, and you know this from, from our, our groups that we've had. When, when, you, when you have that championship mentality, every guy's bought in. Every guy's just trying to win. Nobody, nobody cares about any of that stuff. You don't go into the locker room, you know, 
saying, well, I should have played more. You just, you just want to win. And that's the beauty of finding that magic when you have a championship team is that everybody's bought in and it makes the decisions for the coach um, really simple. You just go with, go with your gut and go with whoever's playing well. I felt like a shot at Jordan Poole and Jonathan coming to a certain degree because he didn't get the, the kind of minutes that he would have, would have liked in the playoffs. So I think you got to move on from Jordan Poole. And for the record, I think the market is still good for Jordan Poole. He's a guy who averages 20 a game. To his credit, had a great playoff run a year ago before he got his money, and then things kind of changed. But he did last year average, I think, around 26 points a game when he started in place of an injured Steph Curry. So you give him that. There's plenty of market for a shot maker like him. Not like anybody's going to build their team around Jordan Poole, obviously, but he could certainly be an asset for a team. And, and I think for Jordan, he, he needs a fresh start, and the Warriors need to go ahead and move on. By the way, it would take a lot off the salary cap. And I also said they need to bring in veterans. That's that's been that's been the constant through most of Golden State's championship. Yes, we can talk about the overwhelming talent. That's that's obviously a huge reason that they've won as many titles as they have. Steph is the sixth greatest player ever. They added Kevin Durant, who was there for three years. I think KD's in the kind of like 15th, 16th greatest player ever. He's the most gifted scorer that I've ever seen personally. Uh, you have Klay Thompson, who's probably the second greatest shooter ever, worst case third or fourth. Draymond, who's the best defensive player of this generation. And for a time there, Andre Guadalla, who is the best defensive sixth man in the league. But how many veterans did Golden State have throughout that run? Let's think about some of the names. Sean Livingston, I, I mentioned Andre Guadalla. You had Andrew Bogut, who, who was there uh, for a time. Leandro Barbosa. Remember, well, Mo Spates wasn't much of a veteran. He was more of a, a young guy. But then later on, they have guys like David West and JaVale McGee. Last year, Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialica. They added Gary Payton. I've always been of the belief that you've got to have veterans on the squad in order to win a championship. Look at the two teams in the finals today. Look at Denver. They've got KCP. They've got, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Uh, oh my God, I'm blanking. Uh, Aaron Gordon, who's been around the league for a while. Like Plenty of got Jeff Green, who's been in the league for a while. Uh, plenty of guys who've been on the stage who have been there and done that. For Miami, obviously we, we, we understand the OG Udonis Haslam. But Kevin Love's been there and done that. So has Kyle Lowry. Yes, you need young players. You don't want to be too old. I remember when the Lakers added Russ and had a terrible free agency that for some reason people thought was good. And I said on this show, it's terrible. Melo's old. Trevor Reza's old. Rajon Rondo's old. DeAndre Ayton's old. Russell Westbrook is out of his prime. LeBron's old. Like, this isn't going to work. You got to have young players, but you also got to have veterans uh, on that group. To me, Golden State needs to really attack that this, this offseason as well as trading Jordan Poole. But I, I was thinking about this. Steph Curry's, obviously, everything goes for the hither in the second. I mean, the very second. Steph Curry walks through that door and is no longer a member of the Golden State Warriors is the second that they are no longer title contenders. It's as simple as that. And they'll go into a complete rebuild. Draymond, by all accounts, including his own, is going to be back next year. He has made it very clear he wants to stay in Golden State. All the reports I've heard out of the Bay Area say the Warriors absolutely want to keep him. So Draymond's, let's just assume Draymond's in for the long haul as well. His timeline kind of lines up with Steph because Steph is locked in with the Warriors until 2026. Clay Thompson is on the last year of his contract. Now, I've been a big Clay defender this year in that, yes, while he had a bad playoffs, had a terrible series against the Lakers outside of game two, Clay had a really good regular season this year. Averaged over 20 a game, actually led the league in three pointers made. He had multiple 40, 50 point games. Clay had a great year. Had, I think, two or three games of 
like 11 or 12 three-pointers made. So Clay has not lost his shooting touch. He just lost in the playoffs. He got cold at the worst possible time. And listen, before anyone comes at me saying, well, it, you know, he choked. Is Clay Thompson known for choking in the playoffs? We literally call him Game 6 Clay. We nicknamed him after an elimination game. Okay? Clay's great in Game 6. He's great in the playoffs overwhelmingly throughout his career. Last year, was, or it's not last year, just a month ago, was it, it's just an anomaly. It's, it's a... That that's not who he is in the postseason. I'm gonna feel bad about this, but what the heck? Could I suggest? I don't know if I've ever done this on Carving It Up Live before, where I've tied in two segments together that aren't directly related and making it one proposal, one just idea. That's what we're doing on Carving Up Live, right? I'm not one for conspiracy theories. I hate those, but just an idea. A what if? A think about it. Could Golden State offer a package to Portland for Damian Lillard? Here it is. This is what I put together. Golden State gets Dame, Portland gets Claypool and Kaminga. It works beautifully for Portland. Because you have a young player who's ready to play now, obviously, in Jordan Poole. You have Jonathan Kaminga, who I still maintain. Whether he stays in Golden State, whether they move on from him, it doesn't matter. The kid is going to be an all-star in the NBA. The problem is he's just really raw. He's 20 years old. Like, he's ridiculously talented. He's just, he needs to get out on the floor more. And the more he does, the more the better he gets. The reason I suggest this trade is not because I'm like, oh, yeah, move on from Clay Thompson. I love Clay. That's my guy. I, I've, I've joked on the show, sort of half joke, like I think everybody in their life when they grow up wants to be Clay Thompson, a guy who makes millions of dollars shooting the basketball for a living, plays in the team he loves, goes out boating in the in, in the bays, his, his dog Rocco. Like, Clay's the coolest dude in the world. The only reason I suggest this and this is getting sort of a nuts and bolts, X's and O's aspect of, of the Warriors. Has Clay Thompson's dip in productivity since he tore the ACL in 2019 and since he tore the Achilles right after that in 2020, is that the only factor that's led to him being not quite the player he used to be? It's a factor. I don't think it's the factor. Again, Clay had a very good season last year. Average 30, uh, not average 30, hit over 300 three-pointers. In the last couple of seasons, Steve Kerr has changed his offense ever so slightly around Steph Curry. Remember back in the day where Kerr was like totally against the high pick and roll for Steph? Well, actually, the high pick and roll, if you look at the numbers, the analytics works. Actually, Steph's a better player working in it. It hurts Clay because he's more of a stationary guy. And Clay flourished. And because Clay was a good player in Mark Jackson's offense, the second Steve Kerr stepped in, just flourished into this new multi-time all-star. Multi-time all-star. I think he made four, if I'm not mistaken. 2015 to 2019, I think it was. Or I guess it's five-time all-star if that's the case, right? Yeah, five-time all-star. But Clay's a guy who thrives in a motion offense, moving the basketball, uh, moving without the basketball. Kind of a catch-and-shoot guy in that regard. The pick-and-roll kind of hurts him. 
with Steph at least. And Clay's not a guy who he can get his own shot. He's gotten better getting his own shot, but that's not really his game. He's more of a catch and shoot offensive guy. If you're Golden State and you're Steve Kerr, do you change your offense a little bit to where Steph? I mean, Steph will still be a great player. Where his efficiency and productivity will dip just a little, but Clay's will go up a lot. Or do you stick with this current pick and roll system with Steph and say, let's add another backcourt partner who this works for as well? A guy who can get his own shot off the dribble. This is part of the reason Jordan Poole has flourished in Golden State. He's great at getting when he's in a rhythm, when he's taking smart shots. He's excellent at getting his own shot off the dribble. Well, newsflash, Damian Lillard is a little bit better of a player than Jordan Poole is. This, to me, is going to come down to an offensive philosophy for Steve Kerr. Do we change the offense back to what it was to help Clay, Or do we continue to tap into what this has been for Steph and add another backcourt partner who this helps as well? And you say, well, Clay isn't the Dame isn't the defender that Clay is. Clay's not been as productive on the defensive end of the floor as he used to be, which is fine for Golden State because they sort of replaced that number one wing defender, which Clay used to be, with Andrew Wiggins. Like, that's his job now. Draymond Green is, I still think, the best overall defender on the team. He can guard one through five. He can play the five in a small ball lineup. I don't know. I think it makes sense. And then you add veterans along with that. The salary works because, again, Clay is a guy who, who's making a lot of money this year. He's obviously uh, in all likelihood going to want the Supermax a year from now. Jordan Poole just recently signed a big extension. And Jonathan Kaminga is a young player that, listen, if he develops the way I think he, he, he will, he's a multi-time all-star in the NBA. Is it crazy? Now, listen, it'd break my heart if he moved on from Clay. That's my guy. But if the Warriors want to put themselves in the best position to win a championship, Objective number one is to move on from Jordan Poole. Objective number two is to add veterans. And objective number th number three is figure out what you're going to do offensively next year from a philosophical standpoint. This answers all three of those questions. You move on from Poole. You do add veterans, not through this trade necessarily, but you're able to do that, guys, and some vet minimum, guys. And you choose an offensive philosophy with Steph. I, I don't know. I, 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 and by the way, Clay's in the last year of his deal, too. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing this out there. John Rivera, what's up, John? John? He says they need CP3. We do not need C, CP3. Listen, I'm willing to bring in CP3 to come off the bench. Uh, but I, I but he would have to take A, a massive salary cut, and B, I don't know if he would necessarily want that role. So yeah, I don't I don't think we need CP3. John, John, CP for, uh, God, nah, I don't know about that. CP for pool. Money is the same, and CP's money will be off the books after this year. I don't know. Again, how does he really fit? I, I, again, I think he'll have to take a huge pay cut in order to come to Golden State. By the way, again, with the new CBA, which I, by the way, hated, hated. It punishes teams for actually building through the draft, which I thought the NBA was supposed to promote. Like Adam Silver, and I love Adam Silver, is talking out of both sides of his mouth with the CBA. That's all there is to it. But as difficult it is for Golden State to keep the, the, the highest paid guys still together, adding CP3 under his current contract is just going to make it more difficult. Now, I know you're kind of swapping salaries with CP and Jordan Poole. I understand that. But I feel like you can get a haul that works better from a salary standpoint and from an on-the-court standpoint for Jordan Poole uh, than Chris Paul. And John just says, y'all not trading Clay. I don't think so. I would... 
prefer we not trade Clay, but if you did, you don't think Damian Little would want to come to Golden State? I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm talking about the starting lineup with Steph, Lillard, Draymond, Wiggins, Looney, and you would still have Gary Payton there. You would still have uh, Moses Moody there. We would assume if he's not including in a, included in a trade like this, and you add veterans. That's that's a really good basketball team. So, and Golden State needs to add some size too. We we, we looked, you know, we, we struggled a little bit with the Lakers in that regard. Patrick Dame will have suitors. It's just a matter of which team will plunge. Yeah, and which team Patrick is has the assets to plunge. That's why I think I think Miami. If you just plug Dame into Miami today, oh my God, it works beautifully. I don't know if Miami has the assets outside of Jimmy and Bam to get Dame, and I obviously Miami's not giving up Jimmy, and I think they'd be a little hesitant to give up Bam because you give up basically all of your defensive presence. And as great a score as Dame is, and Jimmy can be, you can't guard anybody. I mean, that's 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 gonna be a huge problem, and it's taking up a lot of your salary. I I, I don't know. In order to get Dame, it'd have to be a four-team trade, maybe a three-team trade. I don't know. I'm just saying Dame to Golden State isn't crazy. I'm just saying. Makes sense for both teams, by the way. Portland needs some young players. And Clay's from Portland, by the way. Loves Portland. But I want this out there. As a proud member of Dub Nation, I'm not saying we should trade Clay. I want to make that abundantly clear. If you were going to do so because you don't want to give him the max extension, this may be the route you want to go then. I would prefer to keep Clay and just add veterans. And please, for the love of God, move on from Jordan Poole. All that said, I don't think uh, I don't think Golden State's that far off of a championship. As I said, not much went right for the Golden State Warriors this past season, and they were within two wins from the conference finals. By the way, that series against the Lakers came down to game one and game four because Golden State blew them out in games two and five, and the Lakers blew them out in games three and six. Game one, tight, down to the wire. Lakers made a few more plays than Golden State's, did a few more shots. Uh, game four, Warriors controlled mostly throughout, and then Lonnie Walker went crazy in the fourth quarter. Steph got virtually no help. He had like a 32-point triple-double, got no help from Clay and company, and the Lakers won that game. Like, it was it was, it was, was the tight games that really decided the series. So the Warriors are not that far off. Uh, let's see. John, John, Dame is gone this year. Don't know which team, but he's gone. As I said, John, John, earlier on the show, the next 13 days are going to decide whether he stays in Portland or not. The fact that he's even suggesting, hey, Brooklyn maybe, hey, maybe Miami. I, you know, he was even... He was even talking because Jason Tatum was in the comment section of his uh, Instagram live yesterday. Maybe he said, hey, man, come to Boston. Throwing that out there, which Boston absolutely has the assets to go get Dame 100%. That'd be, whew, that'd be scary. Jason Tatum and, and Damian Lillard? Dang. And by the way, it means you don't have to pay Jalen Brown. If you're uncomfortable paying Jalen Brown, okay. Sign and trade with Lillard. Add some more to that package, but. But yeah, if my thing is, if Portland decides to use the number three pick on a player, probably Scoot Henderson, Dame's gone. Because Dame doesn't want to be a part of rebuild. Certainly not in the middle of his prime. And I, it's a good it's a good comment there, Patrick. It's only crazy until it happens. Stranger, listen, I'm just saying stranger things have happened. 
Did we ever think Katie was going to Golden State in 2016? I remember when, uh, I remember after, because I was still recovering emotionally from the 2016 finals. I'm still scarred to this very day. But when there was even the report that, hey, Katie is going to meet with Golden State, I'm like, ah, this is just a, let's see, like, uh, see if it works. Maybe if I get along with Steph and Draymond, like, uh, maybe. And then I remember uh, I went to bed July 3rd and they said Golden State potentially could have been one of Katie's final choices. I'm like, for real? <laughs> and I wake up the next morning. I, I remember where I was. Went down to the basement of the house we were living in at the time. Turned on the TV. Breaking news, Kevin Durant signs two-year deal with the Golden State Warriors. I'm like, there is no way. And I, I lost my mind. I'm like, oh my God, we're about to win like the next 10 championships. <laughs> That was pretty awesome, I'm not going to lie. Oh, interesting, Patrick. Dame would be perfect in Milwaukee. Wow, that is that is interesting. Here's the only thing about Milwaukee, though, Patrick. Portland's going to rebuild. They're going to want a lot of young players. Milwaukee doesn't really have any. They may have some guys at the end of their bench, but probably aren't guys that Portland's going to build their franchise around. That's the he would. I agree, he would be a great fit in Milwaukee if he were to like move Middleton, uh, some picks. Maybe Bobby Portis. I think I think Portis is in with Milwaukee for the long for the long haul. I don't I, I don't think Portland would do it just for the simple fact that Milwaukee doesn't really have a whole lot of young players to offer. Uh, but would Dame work there? hundred percent. All right, let's circle all the way back to the first segment that I did on today's show, the NBA Finals, in which Game Four. If I can just go ahead and let's see, scroll it down here. Hang on, get this background music playing to go ahead and talk about Game Four of the NBA Finals tonight. Here we go. Oh. Denver up two games to one over the Miami Heat. Game four tonight in Miami, the only game in the series in which there is a one-day gap in between games. Every other day or every other game of this series, there's a two-game break. Their two-day break between the two uh, for, for the two teams. Denver once again on the road, a three-and-a-half point favorite. And again, we're about an hour and a half before tip-off, so that could change that could fluctuate uh, throughout the course of the next 90 minutes. But Denver comes in this game with Nikola Jokic having one of the great finals performances we've ever seen. 32-21-10. That's the first time any player in the history of the NBA Finals has ever put up a stat line like that. And it overshadowed the fact that his teammate, Jamal Murray, dropped 34-10-10. So two guys with 30-point triple-doubles. And then you have Christian Brown coming off the bench, giving you 17. I think it was 17 on 7-for-8 shooting. And it's like if you're Miami... I, I hit only 33% of my threes. Their best player was on another planet. Their second best player was awesome. And their rookie come off the bench was incredible. That's You're probably not going to win that basketball game. I said it early on today's show. Jimmy Butler by far has the most to gain from tonight and the most to lose. If Nikola Jokic doesn't play well and the Nuggets lose. Wow, Jokic finally had a bad game. I mean, <laughs> he is human. If Jamal Murray doesn't play well, well, he is kind of the Robin to Jokic's Batman. Like, we're not going to we're not crush Jamal Murray for not playing well. Bam on a bio. I think Bam's played pretty well in this series. He's not the guy. He's having to guard Jokic on the defensive end. Are we really going to crush Bam if he doesn't play well? Jimmy, that was a different story. As I mentioned in the first segment, the last two finals leading uh, before this one, you had a player, a star player on the other team, or a, certainly these two are superstars, and we're asking the question, is Jimmy a superstar? A superstar player with a lower body injury and his team down two games to one. 
Giannis in 2021 against the Phoenix Suns dropped, uh, was it 26, 14, and 8, and had the second greatest block in the history of the NBA Finals. Bucks won that game, won the series. Remember, he had a leg injury from the Eastern Conference Finals. Steph Curry injured his foot in Game 3 against the Boston Celtics. Warriors down, two games to one. Steph drops 43 and 10. Warriors win Game 4, tie the series, go on to win the championship. Jimmy Butler's in a very similar situation tonight. Down 2-1. to one. This case, similar to Giannis, at home. He's dealt with an ankle injury since the first round against the Knicks. And again, I, I'm not one to do the injury. Again, I, I understand it certainly... <laughs> certainly hampers your ability. Again, I'll, I'll go show you Jimmy Butler's number from the first round to this point. Uh, the dip, obviously, in points has been drastic, uh, and certainly in, in rebounds has, has been that as well. But he hasn't been quite as effective in terms of aggressiveness. He's looked to get others involved, which is fine. Miami's got a lot of spot-up shooters. You want to get guys like Robinson, Struess, and Vincent uh, involved. Caleb Martin, who's struggled the series as well. This has to be the Jimmy Butler game. I'm not saying you need 50, because my thing is, if Jimmy has to score 50, that tells me the other guys aren't stepping up. 30 to 35. I'm going to need 30 to 35 from Jimmy tonight with about eight, eight assists, seven rebounds, efficient shooting from the field. Now, he's going to need help. Again, Caleb Martin's been battle series long. I know he's been dealing with migraines. He's reportedly feeling better day by day, so you certainly hope if you're a Heat fan or if you're like me, picking the Heat or pick the Heat to win the series, you hope that he bounces back. Duncan Robinson had an okay game three, had a great game two. You expect him to bounce back as well. The key for this game to me, it goes back to something that Steve Kerr talked about after game two on Draymond Green's podcast. He said, and caught a lot of flack for it, Jamal Murray is the head of the snake in Denver. And people are like, what are you talking about? Jokic is the best player. That's not what Kerr was saying. Kerr didn't say Jamal Murray's the best player. He's saying because of how Jokic plays, because he's an elite scorer and an unbelievably efficient scorer, and dare I say the best facilitator in the league, he's going to be great regardless. Like, there's not really much you can do to stop him or to even force him to have an off night. I have yet to see him do that in these playoffs. Jamal Murray, those different story. If you can blitz Jamal, which they did at times in game two and essentially said, Jokic, if you score, you score. None of your other guys are coming along the ride with you. For, uh, on the ride with you, whether it's Jamal, whether it's KCP, whether it's tonight potentially Christian Brown. Does he have two straight uh, big games off the bench? Again, Michael Porter Jr. has had an awful finals. There's a reason he only, he only played 20 minutes in Game Three. Has, has been horrible shooting the three. Has been bad defensively. Don't be surprised if third quarter, fourth quarter, you see Michael Malone bench him if he continues his struggles. There's a sense of urgency. We know this. Even if Miami loses tonight, they're going down swinging. This is not going to be an easy win for Denver. Game three was like a must-win situation for the Nuggets, where if you lose game three, man, the pressure going into tonight. They took care of business. Jokic and Murray were fantastic. Could I see Jokic, honest to God, could I see Jokic going 30, 20, and 10 again? I actually could. He's That's kind of what, that's his game. That's what he does. He's a... He's a fantastic basketball player in just about every facet of the game, certainly in the offensive end. Do I see Jamal Murray going for 34-10-10, however? Probably not. The key for Miami and the key for Eric Spolstra, how do you contain Jamal Murray? Again, they've thrown a lot of zones at, at Denver throughout the series, different coverages. Jokic has exposed them all. It go, again, it sort of goes back to just play Jokic straight up. He's going to score a lot of points on you. He's going to frustrate you with some of these shots he's hitting against that... That 
that play where he backs the guy down and literally just, it's not a Kareem sky hook, but he just turns and literally just lets the ball go. It's nothing but net. It's demoralizing. It's absolutely demoralizing if you're guarding him, if you're Bam Adebayo or Cody Zeller, who I hope doesn't play too, too much tonight because he scares the crap out of me when he comes in the game and Jokic is looking at him like barbecue chicken, as Shaquille O'Neal would say. Jamal and the rest of the guys in Denver cannot get going. I nicknamed the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals Jimmy and the Dark Horses. Well, the Dark Horses are going to have to show up and shoot better from the three-point line. But this is about Jimmy. Jimmy's the lead singer here. We came, we, we, we came to concert to see Jimmy. 30 to 35. Let me let me settle on a stat total, a stat line for Jimmy. 33, 8, and 7 on 54% shooting from the field. And he knocks in a couple of threes. That's why I got for Jimmy Butler. This is a legacy game for him tonight. This is an opportunity for him to show, yes, I am playoff Jimmy. Until proven otherwise, I am a superstar. And we will tie this series. I've got the Miami Heat winning by the very skin of their teeth. 108 to 107 with Jimmy Butler not hitting the game-winning shot. But Jimmy driving off a double team kicking it out to Duncan Robinson, and he hits in the game-winning three with just a few seconds left on the clock, and the Heat win this game 108-107 to to tie the finals at two games apiece. And at that point, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be best of three. Heck yeah. Please, I need that. Even folks that are picking the Nuggets, we all want to see a good finals. That's what I got. Once again, Miami 108, Denver 107. I said Heat and six. If they lose, it is impossible to go down uh, or to, to win the series in six. They'd have to come back from 3-1 and do what Cleveland did to my Warriors in 2016 and win it in seven. That's what I got. I'm going to stick it with it. Uh, yeah, John, talking about the, the trade, John John says, yeah, like you said, it, uh, like you said, it will take more than two teams. I, again, I just don't think Miami has the assets to get Dame. If you plug Dame into Miami now with them ha not having to give up anything, Oh, that'd be, a, that'd be a problem. I'm not so sure they wouldn't be the favorites in the finals. I'm serious. That's not a shot at Denver. That's, again, I keep saying. Me saying there's not that much of a gap, or I shouldn't say not that much of a gap, not a colossal gap between Denver and Miami isn't a shot at Denver. It's not saying they're not they're, they're not a great team. It's to say Miami is in the NBA finals. The gentlemen swept Milwaukee, took care of the Knicks, were up 3-1 at one point in that series, beat the 57-win Celtics, led 3-0 at one point in that series, outplayed them in five of the seven games. They're pretty good. Like we, we we use terminology like effort and and um, hustle and co how about shot making? How about defense? I don't know. How about coaching? Does that count at some point? Listen, that's why I, I said the most exciting part about this series to me was going to be the chess match between the two coaches because Eric Spolster is absolutely the best coach of the league in my view. But Michael Malone, as I've said for years, is one of the more underrated coaches in the league. Uh, I think he's absolutely in that top 10 class, maybe top eight class. The back and forth. One guy loses, he makes the adjustments. It's went back and forth all season, series long. Now the spotlight shifts to Spo. My guess is Spo throws the zone at Denver, blitzes Jamal, and says, Jokic, Jokic, you're going to do what you're going to do. Well, we, we, we surrender, but the other guys aren't going to come along, the, come along for the ride. Jimmy drives to the basket. Gets doubled, kicks it out to Duncan Robinson. He hits the game-winning three with a few seconds left, and we get a classic Mike Breen bang. That's what we got. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by, as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Monday 
at 6 p.m. Eastern at 3 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network's YouTube channel. And be sure to like, share, comment, and take two, take two seconds. I can't speak today. And hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. And that is G-R-Y-A-D, the Grid Podcast Network here on YouTube. And any and everywhere you get your podcast, your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Game for tonight, once again, we got the Miami Heat. Uh, uh, oh, so that's a prediction for the series. My bad. I got the Miami Heat tonight, 108 to 107 over the Denver Nuggets. They tie it 2-2. And we're going to have a fun show on Monday, if that is the case. If not, we could be talking about on Monday about will a champion be crowned tonight? For the sake of my pick, for the sake of drama, I hope that is not the case. I know Nuggets fans, as they have all playoffs long, <laughs> will disagree with me. But, hey, do you blame them? Who doesn't want to win a championship as soon as possible? All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the game tonight. Please stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please be sure to call your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Have a great evening, y'all. Heat win tonight. God bless y'all. He's out. All right, Playoff Jimmy, floor is yours. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.